No, I said in the first, the, the first Sunday I was here, do you want me to tell you the truth and make you feel good? And you said, tell you the truth. And I've done that. And uh, uh, most of you have come back. So I appreciate that very much. Now, I have a feeling this morning, I believe, that there's somebody just kind of standing on the edge here this morning. When I, when I say standing on the edge, what I'm talking about is you're just about that close to turning loose and let Jesus have your life. Amen. And I, 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 it's, could be any age. Could be the oldest person in this room. Could be the person that has the, do they still give uh, Sunday school pins, class pins? I don't think they do that. You, you know, if, if they did, yours would be so long you'd be tripping over them, you know. But deep down inside, there's, there's something missing. And you're that, that close. And I pray this morning that this will be the day when you'll turn loose and let Jesus have his way. Now, if you have been with us, we're looking at a passage of Scripture. If you want to take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to John chapter 17, um, we are looking at a passage of Scripture that uh, literally uh, transcends time. Uh, It's a prayer Jesus prayed as he was walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where where he would later be arrested. And if you carefully read it, Uh, considering not just what Jesus prayed, but why he was praying and for whom he was praying, it it can, and I believe will, change your life. If we can just get a glimpse into that, what Jesus says here, and who he's praying it for, it'll change your life. In 1962, and many here, how many of you can remember back to 1962? Raise your hand. most, most of you, I can tell, okay, I, I can tell that you can, you can look back to 1962. Well, I grew up in, uh, in Norfolk, Virginia. That was home, born and reared there. In 1962, uh, a movie played at the Lowe's Theater in downtown Norfolk that forever changed our expectation of what uh, a movie ought to be like. It was called, if you look on the screen, How the West Was Won. How many of you remember that movie? How the West Was Won. It was a long movie. Probably the longest movie. At that point, I know it was the longest movie I ever sat through. But as you can see at the top of the screen, uh, it was filmed in what was called Cinerama. We had never heard of Cinerama before How the West Was Won came out. Uh, and, and it literally, the screen literally stretched around you, and it was accompanied by uh, a, a new form of stereo sound that also stretched around you. I don't think it came from the back yet, but it was all all, all the way around you. Uh, and it, it, it was as if you were right in the middle of the movie. I mean, the movie was just taking place all around you. Well, the reason why I say that is because in this prayer, the same thing is taking place. It is literally stretching around us. If you are a true follower of Christ, it surrounds you. It reaches 2,000 years to today, this very, very time. So, 
The same is true, the prayer. It's, it, it's touching your life, even though Jesus prayed it then. It began 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on his way to the cross. He is God. He is creator God, creator of the universe and of all that is in it. I love the way Paul expressed it in Colossians chapter 1. He says, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And then he adds, and by him, all things consist or, or literally he's holding everything together, everything together. They're all his. He created it. He is creator God. And yet he emptied himself. Blows my mind. I can't even begin to conceive of it. I try, but I'll tell you, I believe it. God emptied himself in Christ Jesus. Jesus left his glory behind to become a man and to live among us. He became one of us that he might die for us as our substitute for sin. So what does he do that night before his brutal scourging and crucifixion? He pauses to intercede for those he loves. In fact, this is what we began with in uh, four weeks ago in John chapter 13. John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, to the full extent of his love. Yes, that prayer reached to the 11 apostles who were walking with him that night. It stretches all the way this morning, however, right here to us and then beyond us to everyone who will believe in the gospel that we proclaim to them. And as he prays, he, it's like a mighty force that is, is growing in intensity through every verse of chapter 17. He briefly prayed for his own glory. That's where he starts. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Verse 1. But then he quickly turned to us and he, and he prays, keep them. Sanctify them, make them one, set them apart, but keep them together. I love that. Set them apart, but, but keep them together. But he doesn't stop there. As if reaching back to the beginning of creation, to all who had longed for his appearing, and sweeping together those who were then around him, then he reaches forward to all who would believe in him in the future, us now, and all those who believe after us. He pulls past, present, and future together as he brought his prayer to a glorious eternal conclusion. And that's where we are this morning. Verse 24. Look at it. Father... He says, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
If you've been with us all four weeks, maybe you recall me mentioning how Jesus uh, got through the terrible experience that he went through. And when I say that, we think about the scourging and the crucifixion. If, if you, if you saw, um, the, the movie about Jesus, um, crucifixion and his beating and how, how horrible it was, um, that we think of that, but it goes beyond that. Every moment of Jesus' life, from, from birth to the tomb, he is God going through the midst of sin, being constantly rejected by the very ones he loves the most. He was always in pain. It didn't just happen uh, at, at the cross. How did, he, how did he keep his eyes on his objective? How, how did he keep from being distracted by rejection and, and hurt and disappointment? Remember, Hebrews tells us. Chapter 12, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was what was always before him that pushed him forward. Jesus always knew where he was headed. That was never in question. He knew how everything was going to end, even before it began. For him, entering the world must have seemed like leaving the brilliant glory of heaven and stepping into the darkest night of earth. But he always knew. As the psalmist put it, he knew that his father would not leave his soul in Hades, nor would he allow his Holy One to seek corruption. He made known to him the ways of life, and he would make him full of glory again in his presence. Listen to me. Jesus always knew he was going back home. Every step of the way of those 33 years, he knew that he was headed home. So here's my question for you this morning. Where are you headed? Where's your home? What's around the corner over the next rise? Just beyond the bend, where are you bound? The answer's in this prayer if you're a follower of Christ. It's right here. I hope you didn't miss it. I hope you don't miss it. Again, how the West was won. Such a, a, a complex movie. Yet there was a theme that was always running through it. And it followed the four generations of the Prescott family. Followed them from the 1830s the 1880s, the changes and the struggles as they move from New York to California, leaving family and friends behind, trading their familiar surroundings with rapids and Indians and civil war and outlaws, but they kept moving west. They kept plowing west. And all along the way, there's that constant theme, I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promise. Who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. Well, folks, that's your theme if you're one with Christ. 
You're bound for the promised land. For 2,000 years, it's been the undercurrent that has propelled the church forward uh, to its ultimate destination. It's the promise that what we are presently enduring is not the end of the story. There's a page two. As uh, the commentator Harvey used to say, we have a future in Christ that is always bright. And for that reason, believer, for you, the best is yet to come. It's always going to get better. You say, oh, it just seems to be getting darker. The world's getting darker. Yes, it is. World's getting to be a dark place, but for me, the best is always yet to come. And because of that, the church has been willing to suffer. It's been willing to do without, to endure persecution. Like Jesus, true believers have advanced through the darkest hour because we always have a, a purpose. And every tick of the eternal clock is moving us towards someplace better. As Paul put it, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, which is the church. But what is that future? What are we looking for? That best that's yet to come. Again, it's in the prayer. We just read it. I hope you don't miss it. Look at verse 24 again. Father... I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Uh, He says, I desire that they also may be with me. Don't let that whom you've given me give you trouble. Okay, some people look at that and and uh, get into all kinds of theological debate. And I'm not even going to go there this morning. I could, but I'm not. But I can assure you, hear me well, if you love Jesus, if you desire him, if you've recognized your sinful condition and repented of your sin, and by that I mean turned from it and wanted to be different, wanted to obey and praise God, if you have placed your trust in the Messiah, in the Christ, the one and only one who died for your sin to set you free from sin and from death, asking him to save you and to take away your sin and to come into your heart and live in you, that I can tell you, you are one of his. You belong to him. For my Bible says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord might be saved. No. Should be saved. No. Will be saved. Amen? And what does he say about you? What does he say about you? That you also may be with him. That you you can insert your own name. That Tim Pilon would be with him. Just say it with me, but insert your name. That Tim would be with him. That's what he says. That's what he's praying for uh, uh, right here. Church, we need to understand. Uh, understand that, that, that they also whom you have given me will be with him. There is no doubt about that. I can say it because the father never denies the request of the son. He gets what he prays for. So follow me. 
Four things I want you to see, and I'll go through them quickly. The first is this. I want you to know that our future has a face. Our future has a face. Now, that may seem like a very strange statement, but do you realize that through the ages, men and women who have loved and devoted themselves to the one true and living God have shared one passionate longing to live in intimate fellowship with Him and to look upon His face. I put that on the screen because I don't want you to miss it. That's been the passion of the church for 2,000 years, to live in intimate fellowship with Christ and to look upon His face. Adam longed for it after the fall. And I believe he was ashamed that he had lost it, that he had lost that ability to walk with his creator in the cool in the evening and to look upon his face. Moses wanted to see him and asked to see his glory. Job wanted to sit down and reason with him. And the psalmist cried out to God, why do you hide your face? Why do you hide your face? I remember an early time in my ministry. In fact, my ministry was just getting started. I'd spent eight years on active duty with the Air Force, and then I had slipped over into the reserves, and I'd come on staff as a uh, at a church for a couple of years, and then was asked to be the uh, the head pastor, the senior pastor. And I remember that during those days of my ministry, I was facing decisions uh, for which I, I, I felt totally unprepared and inadequate. These were serious problems, problems that, could, uh, that, that meant the continuing of that fellowship. A church that had a great influence for so long was at the, at the very point of, I believe of death. I, I, I remember uh, sitting at a desk uh, in, in my inner office where there were no windows and shutting the door and, and, and turning off the lights and just sitting there and, and in the darkness staring across that desk just so desperately wanting God to be there and I could see Him and I could talk to Him. Of going into the closet of our bedroom at 3 a.m. And, and night after night lying on my face before the Lord and crying out, Lord, what should, I, what should I do? What do I do? Of retreating to the woods with only a, a tent, a Bible, a notebook, a pencil, and a bottle of water and determined to stay there until he told me how to lead his church. I wanted to see his face. In my heart, I, I, I guess I was singing that song, My sweet Lord, I really want to see you. I really want to see you. Well, did you notice? Jesus doesn't just pray that we be in heaven. I guess that'd be enough, okay? But he doesn't say, he's much more specific than that. He prays that we be with him. Don't miss that, that we be with Him. Quite frankly, we know so little about being with Him. So little. We know what it's like to be led by the Spirit, to feel the Spirit's presence with us and in us. But what is it like, what would it be like to be with Him 
in his very presence. I mean, there's a notable difference between his being with me and my being with him. The Apostle John, you see, was not content to just sit at the table with Jesus. He wanted to nestle up close to him and lean his head on Jesus' chest. And the child who loves his dad is not content to just live in the father's house. He wants to climb up in his daddy's lap. Ever see a child grab his father's face? And stare into their eyes and then plant a big one right on his lips. Well, we have a father we have not seen. And we have a savior with whom we now see as through a darkened glass or a distorted mirror. We're kind of like that blind man that Jesus healed. And Jesus says, can you see? And he says, I can see, but it's like trees walking around. And then Jesus gives him a second touch. And he says, oh, now I see everything clearly. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that second touch. And it's coming. It's coming. For those who follow Christ, who have sincerely given their heart and lives to him. For Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. John says in 1 John 3, beloved, we're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know but, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because, listen, we shall see him as he is. Hold that thought. Don't let anything or anybody rob you of it. This is your future, believer. Your destiny. Your future has a face. Jesus prayed for it. And again, he gets what he asked for, but he doesn't stop there. He also prays that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. And we see that our future has a place. It not only has a face, it has a place. Let me ask you, where is heaven? Where is heaven? I heard one preacher say, and this is the honest truth. He said, I believe that, that heaven is where you see the North Star. The, North, the heaven is where the North Star is. I don't know about that. But I do know that it's, um, it's where you find the morning star. It's where you find the bright morning star. In the Revelation, Jesus told John, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Listen, he's not the evening star as if everything is over. He's the morning star for in him everything's brand new and he's just getting started. He's the morning star. Heaven is real, folks. It's a real place. And as someone, as someone said, heaven is not some vaporous, intangible, everlasting church service in the clouds. No, it's a place. It's a real place. R.G. Lee called it a place called heaven. In fact, I suppose nobody ever preached about heaven like Dr. Lee, who is now in heaven with the Lord. 
Yet it is reported that on his deathbed, for some time, he'd been comatose. He'd been unconscious. And as the family stood around, the doctor saying it wouldn't be long, suddenly his eyes opened and he lift up his head and he stared out and said, Oh, I see heaven. And he paused. And he said, I never did it justice. And then he said, Oh, I see Jesus. And there's someone at... There's someone else. It's mother. And he slipped off and he went there. Let me tell you, heaven, heaven is a place. Jesus talked about it when he told his disciples in John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I'd have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You just got to love that. I do. He doesn't just send us directions to get to heaven. He doesn't just send us on ahead to be greeted by whoever shows up. No, he says, I'll come to get you myself. I'll take you there myself because I want you to be with me in the Father's house. And for that reason, the third thing that I want you to see is our future is glorious. Glorious. What did Jesus say? I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. Why? To see my glory. To see my glory. Now, this is more than the glory of heaven. This is his glory. Jesus' glory. Uh, as you see in your notes, it's, it's not standing in the shadow of a carpenter from Nazareth, but in the glory light of the King of Kings. That's where we'll be. I do not need to tell most of you what an awesome blessing it is to experience the Savior in your life. It's not easy, but it keeps getting better. It's more than you're able to describe. I mean, just try to describe what it's like to know Jesus to a lost person. And they think you're crazy. You don't make a whole lot of sense to that. It's just a lot of nonsense. But you know him. You've experienced his peace that surpasses all understanding. You know the joy, the joy unspeakable and full of glory. But you've not yet seen his glory. Oh, we sing about it. Majesty. Worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. But what would it be like to suddenly be ushered into his very presence? And by the way, the grammar is very specific. He says that they keep on seeing my glory. It doesn't ever end. Eternally with him, beholding who he is, And what he is to us. The end of our struggle. The end of the race. Finishing the fight. The absence of all sin. A glorious reunion with all who have gone before us. And who will follow us. Can you hear it? All heaven is glorious. 
eternal celebration. Hallelujah, they say. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Church, there's a face in your future, and there's a place in your future, and your future is glorious. But I also want you to know in closing, our future is victorious. It's victorious. All of this isn't just going to happen. Doesn't just take place by chance. It's going to happen because Jesus, are you listening, paid it all. He paid it all. There was a decision made in eternity. And there was a promise made in time. And there was a request made in the past that cannot be annulled because of all of it, because all of it rests upon one sure and certain foundation. Listen to it. That they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It was God's love for the world that brought Jesus here. And it was Jesus' love for the Father that carried out His plan. But it's the Father's eternal love for Jesus that ensures my place in heaven. He cannot reject me because, you see, I am an adopted son. In Christ, I am, I call God my Abba, my Dad. And did you notice how Jesus began his request? Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me. The ESV translation has desire. The King James has will. You see, it is a desire, but it's more than that. It's the right to ask. Jesus prayed this prayer because he had a right to ask. Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Jesus is able to pray, my will be done on earth, because it is your will in heaven. Remember what John wrote? Again, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Yes, we'll have a glorified body like his. We'll know as we are known, and heaven will be our eternal home. But none of that will be to our credit. We don't deserve it. We never have, we never will. It will be because Jesus is our champion. Our victory is in Him. I love that song. I love to hear it sung at funerals of a, of a saint who's passed on to be with the Lord. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Don't you like to sing that song? Come up here, Brother Andrew. Lead us in it. It'll be on the screen. Sing it out. I heard an old, old story 
Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, then I repented of my sin and won the victory. remain standing. So Jesus prayed, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, I can tell you this morning with no small amount of certainty, Jesus is either talking about you or he's talking to you. He's either talking about you or he's talking to you. He's talking about you if you belong to him. These, he says. I, 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 told, the na- I told them about the name, Savior. He's the Savior. The only Savior. And they've believed. He's talking to you. If that's what you need to do is put your trust in Him. I'm going to do something that I've not done since I've been here the last four weeks. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to ask you. If you don't have Jesus in your heart. Or you have serious doubt as to whether or not you do. See, Jesus said you'll know the truth and truth shall make you free. So if there's serious doubt, something's wrong. I want you, when I finish praying, we start saying, I want you to just get out of your seat and come to the front.
Okay, you say, well, will that save me? No, you've walked in the front before, you may walk again. No, it's your commitment to him. You're stepping out to make a commitment to Jesus to follow him. I know it'll take a bold action. And everything in your flesh is telling you don't do it. But I can tell you, and anyone else in this room who has Jesus will tell you, you choose against that fleshly uh, uh, inhibition, you'll be happy the rest of your life and throughout all eternity. Father, right now, I pray for those who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Those who are struggling with doubt and may have for decades. And I pray, Lord, that uh, um, as we answer a phone when it rings, <laughs> we'll answer you when you call. Not at some future point, but right now. Amen. To your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.